Good morning, everybody. Nice to have you with us today, whether you're here with me in Northville or there in Farmington Hills at our Farmington Hills campus or join us online from places near and far. Really glad that you are here today and want you to know that uh, whether you're brand new to Ward Church or whether you've been around for a long time, I want you to know that God loves you and I love you too. Jesus was, as you know, the master communicator And when he talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about the kingdom of God in ways that people could understand and grasp. Mostly he told stories. And the story that was read today is one of my favorite stories of Jesus. It's the parable of the banquet and the desire to see every chair filled. Now what does the banquet mean in this parable? It, It is a parable, it's an allegory. And in the Bible, in both Old and New Testaments, a banquet is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the heavenly banquet, is a place where everyone is invited and everyone is restored. To eat at the messianic table is to receive salvation and fullness of life. It's to to live in fullness with God and fullness with God's people. Now, a very early example of this comes from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament in looking forward to this anticipated banquet. The prophet Isaiah records these words. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So it says that God is going to prepare a banquet. This is not hell's kitchen. This is heaven's kitchen. And God is the the, the chief uh, cook. He's the chef and he's the host. And did you notice what's going to be on God's table at the great banquet? What kind of food? It says rich food and meat. Yeah, some translations say fat foods. There's no lean cuisine on this table of God, friends. There's no salt-free, sugar-free, fat-free, taste-free food. This is a banquet of joy. This is something people are going to look forward to. This is the banquet of God. It's coming to earth. You can count on it, and it will be a, a time of great joy. Now, who's invited to this party? Isaiah says, all peoples, all nations. This party's not just for one ethnicity, not even just for Israel. God's interested in filling his banquet table with all kinds of people, and that has been God's desire from the very beginning. But over time, the religious people began to think about God's kingdom as an exclusive party just for them, right? Other ethnicities were excluded in their minds. Non-Jews excluded, sinners excluded, And one day, Jesus is at this very exclusive dinner party, kind of a hoity-toity dinner party, and someone at the party stands up and says, Blessed are those who eat at the table of our God. And it was designed to make the speaker sound humble, but this is not humble. What he's saying is, blessed are those of us special people. Blessed are those of us that are God's favorites, the good people, the invited ones. And Jesus says, let me tell you about God's banquet and who's really going to be there. And then he launches into this story that was read. I want you to notice a couple things about the story that Jesus told. First of all, When the banquet is thrown, there is a double invitation. A double invitation. This would have been more apparent in Jesus' day than it is in ours. 
The first invitation to an ancient party would have been sent out weeks or months in advance. And it was very important, as it is today, to RSVP. But especially in that day, uh, there was no good way to preserve food, and so an accurate count was really needed by the host. Now, when the invitation went out, it would include the day, but not the time. Imagine getting a wedding invitation with a day and no time. Why did the invitation have no time? Well, first of all, nobody had any clocks in that day, and uh, food preparation wasn't a precise science. We weren't sure when the meal was going to be done, and everybody lived in the same village anyway, so when the meal was done, a second invitation went out. Someone would go and say, okay, the food's ready. The time is now. You can come and get it. You had the day reserved, and now the food is ready for you to come. To RSVP and not show up would have been unthinkable. It was considered poor hospitality etiquette, according to one ancient uh, source called the Martha Stewardess Papyrus. Uh, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. That was considered impolite. So Jesus here makes this staggering claim that God's banquet was a double invitation. This first invitation had gone out centuries ago. God said, I am preparing this great banquet for my people. Salvation, richness in me, life fullness. God says, I've been in the kitchen making this great banquet that will one day be available to you. Wait for it. And the people did. They waited and they hoped and they prayed. They imagined what it would be like on that great day. And many of the prophets like Isaiah described that anticipated day with real colorful imagery. Then one day, in an obscure village of Nazareth, a carpenter begins to teach. And he stands up and he says these words, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? The good news is the banquet is ready. The kingdom of God has arrived. There's kind of a double invitation. The first invitation goes out centuries ago. There's a banquet that's coming. And the second invitation, the time is fulfilled. Now, let's get back to the parable. The servant goes out and he extends that second invitation. The food's all ready, everybody. Come on in. We're ready to get dinner started. Come on in. And shockingly, the people begin to make excuses. This is what the text that was read said. They all like begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't do any of the things I used to do. <laughs> now, listen, these are not legitimate excuses. Right? The Greek word is lamest. No, it's not true, but these are, these are lame excuses. These excuses will not walk. They will not run. They're not legitimate excuses at all. They're, they're illegitimate excuses. These people are attempting to humiliate the host. They're sending a message when people give you these kind of excuses. And here's what the parable is saying. Jesus announces the kingdom of God is at hand, and everybody is invited, and the religious people, instead of being glad about that, they are mad about this. They prefer to think about God's banquet as an exclusive dinner party just for them. And so they decide they're going to protest the party. They're going to not go. But the master will not be deterred. He says to the servant, All right, well then go out quickly into the streets and alleys and towns 
and bring in a different set of people, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. If the A-list isn't going to come, let's go to the rest of the alphabet and invite them in. And it's a very interesting guest list, this guest list number two. In that time in the Middle East, if you hosted a party, you generally invited people of the same social status as you. You invite me to your party, I invite you to mine. You give me a gift, I give you a gift. This new list of invitees, they can't reciprocate. They can't give gifts. They don't have homes to invite people into. There is no good reason to invite these people to the party other than sheer grace. It's just grace. You can picture this banquet hall filled with all kinds of people who never thought they'd be in a, in a room this grand, eating food they never thought they'd eat. And they're thinking, what are we doing here? This is just an amazing act of grace. I don't know if you've ever had the good fortune of flying first class on an airline. I did it just once. It was many, many years ago. Our kids were young. We lived in England at the time. We were flying from Detroit back to our, our home in England. We had car seats, two kids in car seats. I had luggage hanging from every bone in my body. We're trying to get to the gate in time. And Angie meets a woman that she went to high school with. And they quickly reunite. But we say, look, we, sorry, we can't talk. We got to make our plane. She now works for the airline. She runs over to a terminal and she says, tippity tap, tippity tap, you're flying first class. And we got on, and, you know, instead of being escorted where we usually go, we went this way. I had car seats. I, I, I put the car seat, strapped it into this chair, and this is me standing in front of the chair. There's that much leg room. And then we sit down, and it's recliners, and we're playing with the recliners back and forth. And we were so giddy about it, we couldn't sleep at all on the whole flight. And, and I got the feeling people around us knew, like, we, didn't, we had not been in first class uh, before. We thought, what are we, what are we doing in first class? I'm a... I'm a youth pastor, parents of young kids. We have no business up here, but it's sheer grace. And that's Jesus' story. The blind, the poor, the crippled, and the outcast, all of a sudden, they're in first class. They can't even afford a coach ticket, but now they're riding first class. And they're just laughing about this. What a, what a grace deal. What an incredible opportunity. We, we, don't, we don't belong here. We know that. Jesus says that's what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of people who can't afford coach are now flying first class. So the servant brings in the people just like the master said. And then the servant reports this. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. We've got those people, the crippled, the, 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 the lame, the blind. But there is still room. Then the master told his servant, well, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What's going on? Go out even further. Go beyond the city walls. Let's take it to the Gentiles. This would have been a troubling story for the people of Jesus' day. He says, compel them to come in. Now, compel does not mean force. This is very important. In the Middle East, if you received an unexpected invitation, especially of someone of a higher social class, you were supposed to decline the invitation. Decline it. To say, well, it was a very nice gesture, but he doesn't really want me at his party. He was just being polite. And the master knows people are going to think this, so he says, compel them, convince them. The master really does want you at the table. This is an absolutely legitimate invitation. 
compel them to come in. And this parable communicates well the priority of our church. When our denomination, our collection of churches was being, was being put together many years ago, this is what they said in our founding documents in our constitution. We don't often read the book of government in a worship service, but here's this. In terms of its work, the first duty, the first duty of the church is to evangelize by extending the gospel both at home and abroad, leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and to provide for the nurture of that faith that all might grow in grace and sanctification. The first duty of the church is to evangelize. Now that word evangelize has fallen out of favor in our day, but it comes from a word that means good news. The first duty of the church is to let people know that there's this good news of a, of a master of God who really does want people at his table. To tell people God wants them to come. And then our constitution gives the first, uh, our elders the duty of keeping the first duty the first duty. This is, this is in the book of government for the duties of elders. The first duty to initiate a ministry of evangelism as the first business of the church. Don't let it slip to the bottom. And to seek to lead persons to an acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's, that's for us as a body of believers. That's our first priority. But let's talk more personally. I want to, uh, I want to talk about these chairs that are behind me. Each of these chairs represents a person in your life. And I want you to think about who this chair might represent and begin to pray for that person. The first chair is an office chair. And this represents somebody in your workplace. Now, maybe you don't work at an office at all. Maybe you work in retail or uh, you work in hospitality. But this is somebody at your workplace who thinks that they're too busy for God or too messed up for God or too something else for God. And the master says, compel them. Let them know that there's a reality of a God who loves them and wants them. This second chair, this rocking chair, maybe this represents a young woman with children, and maybe she's so overwhelmed by the duties of her day that she hasn't thought about her own soul in quite some time. You remember the story of the door-to-door evangelist knocking on doors in a neighborhood, and a lady answers the door, and she's got a baby on her hip and a vacuum cleaner in one hand, and kids running around in the background, and they say, ma'am, would you like to have eternal life? And she said, frankly, I don't think I could stand it. Or maybe this chair represents an elderly person that you know. Maybe there's somebody like my dad who thought he was too old for God. He invited Jesus to be part of his life when he was 93 years old. Compel them. Yeah. Tell them, look, you, you, are, you, are not, you are not too old. Yeah, my dad died a year later, and now he sits at the heavenly banquet. Or maybe this chair represents uh, somebody like the lady I spoke to last week after church who lives all by herself and she wanted me to pray with her about her loneliness. Maybe this represents somebody who needs uh, an errand run or a meal delivered or an act of kindness, but you, you know somebody that's represented by this chair. This last chair... Lawn chair season is coming to an end in Michigan, and we grieve that. 
but this chair represents somebody in your recreational world, somebody you know through sports or hobbies, or someone through your, through your kids' sports and hobbies. And Jesus says there are a lot of excuses people will make for not accepting the invitation to God's kingdom, but don't let those excuses deter you. Keep inviting. Compel them to come in. Keep a winsome witness. You know somebody represented by these three chairs, and I want you to think of a name of who these chairs represent and to begin praying for them now and to not give up. Compel them to come in, says the master. Bring in the blind, the crippled, the hungry, and the lame. Bring in the doubting, the confused, the lonely, the lost, the stubborn, and the cynics, and the difficult, and the proud, and the hopeless, sinners who need to be forgiven. Bring them in. The master of the house says, keep a chair out for every single one of them. Don't be discouraged by excuses. Don't take no for an answer. And for God's sake, don't stop praying. Compel them to come in, for I have lots of places in my house, says the master, and I want every place filled. The banquet is ready. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord of the banquet, thank you for Jesus, for his life and death and resurrection, for his wisdom, for his teaching, for his stories. Thank you for your great love for us and for all people. Thank you for giving us a seat at your table and for the sheer grace of the invitation. Forgive us the times we have thought ourselves better than others, for the times we have claimed exclusive, exclusive rights to your grace. Help us to go into the streets and alleys and roads and country lanes and, and share your invitation. Help us to bring good news to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and all others in need. On this Communion Sunday, we gather at your table and experience a foretaste of the banquet for this holy meal and what it represents. We are forever grateful. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody agreed and said, amen.